episode 103 of Positive Progression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, ranking the championship favorites halfway through the regular season, who's in, who's out, and who we agree on. Plus, our extensive Circuit of the Americas preview, including a look at the top drivers lacking that road course ability. Got to pick it up there. But first, as part of our new tradition, David, we start with a historical deep dive, this time looking at Texas World Speedway. David, since we're going to a new Texas track for the NASCAR series, I found it appropriate we look back on an old Texas track. Texas World Speedway was a two-mile track, nearly identical to the Michigan we know today. The Cup Series raced there just eight times and never returned after 1981. Davis, uh, you'll tell us all about it, but I can tell you one cool thing I saw. Every race there was won by a future NASCAR Hall of Famer. That's a pretty neat distinction. Yeah, and I think that there's a reason for that distinction. So, uh, firstly, it was on the Cup Series schedule, uh, as you mentioned, not, not a lot. From 1969 to 73, there was a five-year hiatus, and then it was on the schedule from 79 until 81. Uh, as you said, two-mile track, similar to Michigan. It was capable of higher speeds, though. It was a total horsepower track. No surprise by this winner's list. It is a who's who, but also it is a list of haves within the sport. Great teams with plenty of horsepower there. Unfortunately for this racetrack, it never drew a fan following. There were only 24,000 people in attendance for the first ever cup race there in 1969. There were 18,000 for the second race. And even after the five-year hiatus, uh, there's a groundswell to get a race back on the Cup Series calendar. Only 11,000 people showed up to that. And honestly, I think it's just an absence of a stock car racing culture in the state of Texas. Uh, at least that's what I would chalk it up to. Texas is a tough nut to crack traditionally when it comes to racing. A.J. Foyt's popularity fostered no local community to speak of, and uh, and I'm glad that you you picked this as our, our topic today. For me personally, Alan, when I got hired by The Athletic, I left RSMG, which is the last agency uh, that I was with as a talent scout. And uh, I haven't scouted since, but one of the big regrets that I have is that I never built a firm scouting network of uh, folks that I trusted inside the state of Texas. Uh, and I didn't gain any, you know, some sort of uh, a next level understanding of the driving, uh, driving talent in that state. And you figure that with the population size, there's at least one stud race car driver inside the state of Texas. And I, and I guess with the population size, you also figure there are a lot of fans there too. And, but if there are, they, they don't seem to attend races and droves. Uh, so, you know, something I lament about the state of Texas, but this racetrack did have a comeback. I think that you'll find fascinating, uh, in the late aughts, the NASCAR testing ban made Texas world speedway appealing to cup series teams. Greg Biffle set a record unofficially turned an average lap speed of 218 around the track. Um, the track itself was used for research and development for Michigan and Fontana. And at the time, both of those tracks had two races 
on the Cup Series schedule. And I do recall uh, I was working hand-in-hand with uh, Steve Turner and Turner Motorsports at the time, and they were a Texas-based team. They tested their trucks wow. uh, there frequently. And uh, I recall they, they won back-to-back Michigan races with Nelson P.K. Jr. and then James Busher, uh, thanks to a lot of time spent at Texas World. Good stuff and a good tie into uh, more recent history that I didn't know about. I knew the Biffle stuff, but that, that's uh, – I didn't know how extensive the testing went there. Uh, d- yes, David, we're talking about a track in College Station, uh, home of Texas A&M, and I believe a track that is no longer there officially, right? It's going to be demolished or if it has been demolished or it's going to be homes or shopping center soon, I believe. Um, one of the f- – Things that I liked about it, David, just looking back on the history of it, there can't be that many of these tracks, David. One of the few tracks out there that both Richard Petty and A.J. Foyt can say they were winners, and I just thought that is a cool distinction. Yeah, indeed. Uh, A.J. Foyt, a winner. That was a USAC stock car race, different series than NASCAR. But you're right, and it's it's just a great point to make that it was one of these tracks, and there are there are several out there um, where it's really tough to just fall backwards into a race win. And from the seams of things, it, this was one of those tracks. You had to have either the talent or the car capable to go out and win these races. Um, it's tough. I, I need to drum up uh, some some videos of past races if there are any. Uh, and take a look at myself. Um, I didn't really have a familiarity with this track. I was born after uh, the Cup Series stopped going there, um, and it wasn't until NASCAR's testing ban made all of these alternative racetracks without a presence on the NASCAR schedule, made them popular. I remember uh, an ESPN ma- uh, the magazine article about Rockingham. Its resurgence was due to the fact that teams were testing at both Rockingham and the uh, the small half-mile track outside of it called Little Rock, uh, which was to mimic Martinsville. Um, it was a big deal, and it was big business that some of these independent track owners were making uh, that is no longer the case, and that's partially why Texas World now ceases to exist. All right, good stuff. Our historical deep dive for episode 103 of Positive Regression goes toward Texas World Speedway. Good stuff, as always, David. Let's get... When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just started. All right, we are halfway through the NASCAR Cup Series regular season, right? 13 races down, 13 more to go before the playoffs start. So it's natural. We will rank 
our top five serious title contenders right now. David, as you write, the rankings are subjective. The rationale is objective. So we might have some differences, but that's we'll talk it out. That's what we do here on the podcast. Maybe elicit some more conversation from the listeners as well. Uh, so how do you want to do it, Dave? Want, want to each give our rankings? And I, I can give my five if you want. Okay, yeah. And, and I do want to preface this by saying that we don't know who the other pick. No. This is, there, is, no. there is no artifice here. I've, I've got a notepad. I'm, I'm ready to write down whatever Alan comes up with, and uh, debate will very likely ensue. Sure. All right. Well, I'll go first. I'll start at number five and work my way up to one. So at number five for serious title contenders right now, I have... Joey Logano. Uh, Joey Logano has been consistent, evidenced by where he is in points right now. I know Daytona was, I mean, Daytona, Darlington was something of an oddball, but David, a lot of my rationale is going to come back to the 750 tracks. You look at Phoenix, Richmond, Dover, he won Bristol Dirt, Martinsville, uh, all good performances. That to me puts Joey Logano as a serious title contender for me at number five. Number four, I have Alex Bowman. Where are his two wins, right? I mean, you have Dover, a 750 track. You have Richmond, a 750 track. If he keeps getting better, serious title contender. Number three for me is Kyle Larson. I know he tops the speed charts on the 550 tracks, but he's doing plenty at the other tracks as well. If he starts pulling off these wins, I, I just think, look, Kyle Larson, his talent at Hendrick Motorsports Equipment, he is number three. Denny Hamlin, for me, comes in at number two as a serious title contender. We've covered him extensively on the podcast in the first half of this uh, year so far. Uh, just killing it out there at a historical pace at, at some points in terms of performance, in terms of production. I know the wins aren't there, but when you're performing at this level, if you've listened to any words that we have said, you know Denny Hamlin is obviously a serious title contender. And David, my number one serious title contender right now, the favorite for me, Martin Truex Jr. You cannot, you cannot argue with the high. I know there are some dips, but you cannot argue with the highs where the wins are, right? The wins at these 750 tracks, these playoff tracks that they're all going to go back to, Darlington, Phoenix, Martinsville. He has victories there. Victories are how you win a championship. It's not just performance. So, David, he is my favorite for the championship. How about you? Okay, so that's a very interesting list. We share three of the five. Ooh, nice. Uh, All right. And, and, and I think we're going to go I, – I think our rationale is similar. We just took, uh, took different pathways to get there. I'll just read uh, the, the list outright. Uh, number five, I have Chase Elliott. Okay. Number four, Joey Logano. Number three for me is Ryan Blaney. Wow. Two and one, I really anguished over this. Uh, it, so much so it was the kind of anguish that I had to like move locations in my house because I needed to have a more <laughs> of a, of a, of a deep think. Um, don't stress, it, man. It's, just a it's kind of, it's kind of a one A, one B, but that's a cop out, right? So it, it is one and two. Number two is Denny Hamlin and number one is Martin Truex. All right. So, uh, let's, let's start at the top, um, because we have a unanimous number one. Yes. We both agree on one and two. Yeah. So, okay. We can let, yeah, let's dive into both of those. Jeff Gordon said on, the the Fox telecast uh, last week that he was shocked that Truex did not perform better at Dover, that he didn't dominate, and uh, especially as the pole sitter. But to me, I would not have expected that because 
from the outside looking in, there is little upside in spending the time it takes, the time that it is required on a setup that could have a race like that, uh, th- that we saw, eventually saw from Hendrick Motorsports. It appears, and I'm, and I'm basing this on some of the questions that I've asked of James Small in a few different, uh, media availabilities and the answers that he's given me. But it sounds as if this team has identified where precisely at 750 horsepower they want to be good. And you mentioned the tracks that they've won at. They won at Phoenix and they won at Martinsville. And those wins by themselves are big statements. It sort of provides them a pathway from uh from the beginning of the playoffs to the championship. Okay, the 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 one the one race that they have outright dominated this year was Darlington, and that is the playoff opener. So round one, I'm gonna I can chart Truex's playoff progression as a win at Darlington. Stage two is sort of a kitchen sink round. I think that is where you use the regular season to amass playoff points. Uh, in the hopes that you can use them if you do not get a win. I don't see a track there that necessarily pops out. It's possible. He is Martin Truex. But I think that round specifically is why you accumulate playoff points. Round number three, I think it's clear. They, they will have playoff points. The goal is to win Martinsville. And while that was not an outright domination, we've seen Truex do that in the past. We see cars that have a knack to dominate. And I think that is the end game with that. And then the finale is at Phoenix. And, and again, they didn't outright dominate that race, but it was the fastest car of the last stage that should have some significance. And I think that's kind of the leg up that he has on, uh, on Denny Hamlin. And, and, and if you, you'll grant me this, uh, Hamlin went out and crushed Martinsville and Richmond. He did not win those races, but he, but the way that he took to those tracks was a way that we haven't seen from him in a while. Last year they won races, but they also had a tendency, even in those races, to be spot on for two out of three stages of each race. Uh, and then in that third stage, whether it was beginning, middle, or end, something went wonky. So in one way, they've corrected a big problem, but where I come to a stop and where I think Truex separates from Denny Hamlin is Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's a track Right now, no one has a seismic advantage at Phoenix. Uh, that didn't used to be the case. Kevin Harvick built a firewall around Phoenix there for years. But since it was made the host of the championship race, it's garnered all of this additional spent, uh, specific focus, um, R&D time spent, money spent, and this is kind of what you see. We have guys that can go out and lead a lot of laps, but there's also a lot of parity. Uh, the championship race last fall was... Much tighter. Denny Hamlin didn't lead a single lap, but he was in contention all day long. Um, it is a, it is a harder track to dominate. And for me, if I had to pick between him and Truex, uh, of which, who is the most likely to go out and smash Phoenix, which I think you would need to at least have a car capable of doing that at some point in a race. I think it's the 19 team. Uh, given what we saw there in that final stage earlier this year and assuming that James Small 
comes correct instead of working through those initial runs and the competition yellows, uh, that's the advantage. It's a small advantage, but that's the advantage. Is it safe to say, I mean, the winning Phoenix, that's how you win a championship, right? So th- that, that mere fact, right? That, that detail may cloud a lot of our judgments or rationales. Is that fair to say? Cause it certainly did mine. This is the game, right? Because we're, we're no longer rewarding the best all around team. And we are no longer rewarding, uh, or we never really did reward the teams that win the most races. We reward the teams that win a competition where 10 tracks are prioritized over the rest in some kind of order. So when we talk, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about Martinsville. We spend a lot of time talking about Phoenix is because those are the two most prominent racetracks on the schedule as it is constructed currently by NASCAR. So that is the competition. And if you are not hip to what that is, that's, you're, you're going to have a lot of trouble. And if you were just flat out not good, and this is the reason that I left Kyle Larson off of my list altogether, if you're not good at those tracks, then no, you're, you're not, you're not a serious title contender. Not, not until you clean that up. So the fact that Martin Truex had never won at Phoenix until earlier this year. And then we come to find out that James Small and Jeff Curtis and everyone at JGR spent the entire offseason starting in November building a setup specifically for Phoenix. That's the kind of focus that you're going to have to have as long as Phoenix is the final race on the schedule. And if you don't have the driver or you don't have the team capable of pulling off that race – then how real of a title contender are you? Because I think the conversation, I don't know if it starts there, but it certainly ends there. If you can't win at Phoenix, then you aren't a true title contender. All right, that's fair. But I mean, remember, four title contenders also go there, which is why I have Larson, if you will, right? I mean, there's Martinsville, Kansas, and Texas. That that Those wins get you into Phoenix. So let's detail, David, our differences, right? You have Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney in your top five for serious title contenders. I do not. I have Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson. So let's debate, I don't know, or or give our reasons. You know, why, for me, what makes Blaney in your top five, especially number three? Because you have him right behind Denny and Martin Truex Jr., who we both agree are the favorites. To me, Ryan Blaney represents the hedge on 557.50 for Team Penske. So his lone win this year came at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will have similar cracks uh, at that going into Kansas and Texas. I mean, if he's not competitive, I would be surprised. It's crazy that he has not won Martinsville yet. So in that sense, you talk about you think Larson can be one of the final four. I think that's the case, but we're not picking the final four. We're picking championship contenders. And I think Blaney has a leg up because not only can he count off all three of the tracks in the the semifinal round, he can go to Phoenix. He was competitive last fall. He led there this spring. It's possible I mean, as we've seen from Team Penske, they can bring fast 750 cars to tracks that matter. Right now, he seems to be the best of both worlds as far as representatives from Team Penske go. All right, and that's fair. And, and everything you just said, I could almost say for Kyle Larson. At least that's the rationale I used, right? When you when you talk about the hedge between 750 speed, like let's say we saw something in Dover, and, and the 550 speed that we know Kyle Larson has, you know, we know how he dominated 
what, uh, Atlanta, but lost out to Ryan Blaney, obviously, but how he went out in one Vegas and how he's led a ton of laps. That's kind of the same rationale I used about the semifinal round, right? Texas, Kansas. He goes and wins one of those races. He's in the final four. To me, that obviously makes him something of a, a championship contender, uh, to use, uh, some of that 750 hedge, if you will. So that's why I have Larson over Blaney. You included Chase Elliott. And to me, it's crazy that, you know, we can only pick five. And when I made my list, uh, I put Bowman over Chase Elliott because of what we've seen so far for the ability to get checkered flags. Because checkered flags, so far, I mean, win you championships, right? And he has those 750 horsepower checkered flags. So right now, I put Alex Bowman in my top five. Um, talk me out of that. Put Chase Elliott, give me the argument for Chase Elliott over Alex Bowman. We haven't seen the real Chase Elliott is the, the crux of my argument. He ranks fourth in 750 horsepower best average lap time. Uh, he ranks seventh in median. So there's a gap there. He is faster than he's let on and the results probably should also be there. Keep in mind, he came out hot last season and specifically it was speed on 750 tracks that we talked about in regards to him. Well, some of those tracks, like like the Bristol pavement race was not there this spring. And that's a track that he won at for the all-star race last year. That's typically a Chase Elliott track that probably would have been a good benchmark for where he is. And we didn't see it. I would contend that he isn't good at Richmond. He finished fifth there last fall, but it was a meh performance. He didn't lead any laps. Uh, he finished uh, 11th or 12th there in the spring. I don't think anyone was expecting a big performance from him. And he was there at Martinsville, finished uh, second, r- really, r- really should have finished third, but it took Martin Truex about 20 minutes to pass Denny Hamlin. Uh, <laughs> so he, he kind of roped the, both of those guys in. And and even in Phoenix, he was fighting a handling balance all day. I believe he started from the rear of the field, but it doesn't. It, it's that's neither here nor there. He has the capability that we've seen if they find balance that he can get quite a lot done. I think last weekend's race at Dover was a pretty significant reminder of that. Uh, someone asked in the Motorsports Analytics Discord chat before the race about Elliot being dinged in the optical uh, scanning station again, starting from the rear. And I said, it's not, not only is it not going to be a problem, he's going to have a banner passing day and he's going to score points from the first stage. Just watch. And that's exactly what he did. And that is what Chase Elliott brings. I don't think they make those aggressive calls in the scanning station without that knowledge. So if that were to get cleaned up, knowing the ability that he has, I think he's the the driver of the Hendrick four based on what the playoffs are. Kyle Larson might win more races this year. Chase Elliott has the highest ceiling. And if I'm on another team, if I'm at JGR or Penske, really looking at the playoff format, Am I concerned with Kyle Larson, who who has already admitted that Martinsville is his least favorite track and his Phoenix record isn't great? Chase Elliott can do that because we have seen it. So that's even at number five, I might have him too low, but he'll very likely pad his way into the playoffs if he doesn't win. I think he will win. We've got, you know, 12 road course races on the regular season schedule. So so he'll pad, pad his way in. He'll be in the mix. So I, I can't, I can't write him off just given that the, the championship he won last year, how it 
played out is on the table this year. There were no races swapped. Um, he should fare very well, I think. All right, and uh, let's even quickly. Let's just devote a little time to Logano because we both had him on our lists. Uh, I don't want to say we forget about him, but it's almost a—I don't know—he's just so damn talented. You know, he gets the wins when, when needed, and, and he's he's there. You know, he's buzzing like a gnat, right? That you can't ignore him and his potential championship uh, abilities. There is no pattern to what he does or what his performance is. Uh, you can point to certain places and say that, well, Logano has won here, but would he be an outright favorite at any track on the schedule right now? I don't think so, Mm. but it's also that kind of ability to hang around. If you give him clean air anywhere, he's very difficult to beat. And, and, And we've talked about the, the 750 production prowess, he won Bristol of all places and, and, <laughs> and still is getting results at other 750 tracks. They turn a road course. He pulled one out of his nether regions. And I mean, he has the ability to go get a result. And now that he has a win, he's, he can shortly start to amass some playoff points, but he's someone that looking at every racetrack in the playoffs, including that round two that ends with the Roval. Well, he nearly won the Roval race last year. And I, I recall we, we talked about that before the Roval race, that his road course record wasn't particularly good. And since then, he performed well at the Roval. He was a podium finisher at the Daytona road course. He was a, uh, at both the clash and the points race. So he does, he kind of, he kind of pops up and he led the most laps at Phoenix in the spring. So if he's in the final four, he's who boy, that that's going to be a difficult driver to beat because yeah, he, he is very tough to lose to get rid of. I, I mean, when, when you think of like what the playoff is, ultimately you don't have to be the best car until, or the best driver until the final race, you can just not be the last cutoff driver for three rounds and get through and Joey Logano has a pretty solid knack for not being the cutoff driver. Um, is there anybody yeah. that we left off completely that we should discuss? Well, I mean, there's certainly plenty of reason for uh, Kevin Harvick uh, fans to be yelling. And um, look, it's, it's a top five. So if you're sixth on the list, uh, that's not bad. Do you think we've seen, like you said with Chase Elliott, have we seen Chase Elliott's potential quite yet, the real Chase Elliott? Have we seen Kevin Harvick's? potential yet uh, i mean it's a long season right there's 13 more races you just got to get it figured out in, in the next four months or so don't you envision rodney childers shr could do that right i mean we can't write kevin harvick off i mean him finishing sixth each week is not a bad thing it's just not kevin harvick's standard so it's not like they're running piss poor they're just not they're not, they're not up there leading the laps obviously but you know finishing you know six seventh or in the back half of the top 10 is not awful that seems fixable to me so uh would it surprise you if it suddenly gets the win and becomes a championship contender it would not it would not surprise me david i mean he's my pick to win michigan right now i, I can say exactly. that but, yeah yeah but even even looking at where his team ranks in speed. It's the 11th fastest team on 550 tracks. It's the seventh fastest on 750 tracks. Just, you know, lumping all these tracks into uh, two different categories. That's not enough. 
that that really it just it isn't it isn't enough because as the playoffs thin out it really that's when we see the weaknesses right like there's a reason that we do our uh, requiems at the end of every season where we point to the thing that needs to be improved on and Alan we've done it for 2 years now we're going to do it a third this year but it gets harder and harder to find weaknesses within a team and theirs last year was there was kind of a gap to where what they were doing on the 550s and what they were doing on the 750s the tracks that were most prominent on the NASCAR schedule they didn't seem to have a handle on and that wasn't that was not a hot take Kevin Harvick got out of the car at Martinsville and said we're always bad here well if you know you're always bad there why didn't you do anything about it so it it shouldn't it, maybe it shouldn't have. he had a he had a really weird semifinal round sort of fluky but at the same time you have to have every fail safe. And I feel like the five drivers that I put on my list have kind of every fail safe checked off. And we still haven't seen that from Harvick yet this year. He might go get finishes, but when it comes down to it, it's, this comes down to having speed and having track position and they've had neither. So until that changes and we might not see it because we're not going to see any of these tracks uh, again that we saw earlier this year until the playoffs. I don't know. That's a, that's a very difficult pick. I think he'll be in the playoffs. That's for sure. How, how long he stays in it is another question. All right. Any other dark horse you want to throw out? I mean, picking a title contender, there's no, I don't think there's any such thing as a dark horse title contender. No one's going to surprise us and win, win a cup series championship. But for, for me, I mean, Bowman would have been my, my deepest, yeah, uh, darkest, if you will, uh, deep dive, if you will, into a championship pick. Anyone else you want to throw out? We didn't mention Byron. I mean, we, we've mentioned every other Hendrick driver. Uh, yeah. We, we did not, we did not. Uh, rank the fastest team in the series in either of our top fives, and that's William Byron. Our so, <laughs> but, but what, what have we, what have we learned in past years is that again, the, the playoffs don't reward what you think it's rewarding. And with William, it's not, he, he has a high floor, man. He, if he has proven anything this year is that he, ha- he is the only driver to have a pair of three or higher uh, in races without late race restarts, races with late race restarts, 550 tracks, and 750 tracks. He has his bases covered. What he isn't doing is winning all of these races. He might end the season having maybe the best pair in the series, but until we see that ceiling grow within the year 2021 to where he can just go out, kill off a race and win, then I don't know that he's in that conversation. Now, a lot of, a lot of things can happen between, um, now and then. Uh, in speaking with Greg Ives last week, he discussed his team's Martinsville speed. Uh, I mean, even the pit crew then had a big performance, 14 spots gained at Martinsville. And Greg Ives thought that they had enough speed to be able to win the race outright. And I, I had to, I, I didn't, I put this in my article. I did not editorialize, but I kind of disagree with that. Just ba- based on what the data was telling me, you know how the Washington Post has a, a, a Pinocchio system for how, yeah. how the degree of a lie. This wasn't a four Pinocchio. This was maybe a one Pinocchio, <laughs> but it, it was the seventh fastest car at Martinsville. 
but Phoenix was the big problem. And, and Ives' admission, that's the track that they're, they're really bad at. They're, they are frustrated and they're trying to figure it out. So with, with him, with Byron, they are these two Hendrick teams that can win races because we've seen them win races, but is the ceiling so high as to refer to them as a versatile enough title contender? Like, could, is William Byron a good candidate to not win any of the races in the semifinal round, but point his way into the finale? Absolutely. I mean, if there's anybody on this list, it might be him, but it has to, have, well, I mean, at least one makes it that way, right? At least yeah. one makes it that way. But can he win? Can he, can he go out and yeah. win Phoenix? And that is, that's what I keep coming back to is not only does that separate first and second on this list for me, but it leaves some drivers off, even though they're poised to have tremendous seasons. Uh, that's not how this championship is rewarded. You have to play the game if you want to win the championship. And some of these teams play it far better than others. Good discussion. Maybe we'll revisit when we uh, get back to Phoenix. At least uh, remember what we said 13 weeks into the season, 13 races into the season. Uh, I think it was pretty good in-depth discussion with uh, uh, good arguments made for, for all around. So good stuff, David. All right, let's move on. We are going to Coda, David. The, the Circuit of the Americas, a new venue on the NASCAR series track. Uh, Cup Series track. I mean, all three of them are going there, but it's been a long time uh, since we could say something as significant as uh, as a new world-class F1 Circuit of the Americas track being on the schedule. Uh, 20 different turns. I mean, this, I'm excited. I mean, just, just for the venue, for the unknowns of it all, they'll have practice, they'll have qualifying. Uh, D- David, I mean, just having a new track on the schedule, that, that just is fun to me. It gives us something to talk about. It does. It, I, it does not, not amaze me that there is a truck series race at an F1 track. I, I cannot, <laughs> I can't, this could not uh, have been further from what was imagined with this track. Yeah, Paul Menard will race uh, on Saturday in the truck series. So, uh, uh, who saw that coming? But hey, it's a year of change, 2021. But David, let's talk the cup series. Similar rules package, right? I mean, 750 horsepower. Uh, at a road course. We've seen a bunch of 750 horsepower races so far this season. We, we dissect them. We, we tell you which drivers are good at them, right? Which drivers are fast, which teams are excelling at 750 horsepower tracks. But this is a road course, right? This is a, a new road course. It is a, a certainly a unique road course. So should we, if we look at the speed charts, let's say David, should we expect 750 horsepower strength if we're looking at who's fast on on the charts? Should that translate to a road course that, that does have the 750 horsepower package? The answer is that it could, and it's going to be dependent on every type of road course because they're all unique. You can't compare Sonoma to Watkins Glen to Coda. So in parts and pieces, yes, being good at 750 Ovals translates to being good at road courses. And those elements, uh, the arrow, the grip, every central focus of a baseline 750 setup matter. But at Coda specifically, looking at the track map, they're going to matter a lot because of what Coda offers. There are two monster straightaways. And that is something that we don't see at Sonoma or Watkins Glen. So straight line speed will absolutely matter. Uh, and then there is the 
braking because all that straight line speed is going to come to a screeching halt. Um, make all the left hand turn jokes about NASCAR, but if you're bad at turning left, then you're going to be bad at Coda because <laughs> turns 1, 11, 12, 19, and 20 are all big left-handers with heavy braking zones and turn 20 leads into the start finish line. So that is a crucial braking zone where the timing and the magnitude of the launch on exit will matter. So yes, if a team or driver uh, are particularly good at 750 horsepower tracks, they'd be ecstatic going into this weekend. Of course, there are other details to account for, uh, including right-hand turns, but if the foundation is there, then that's a tremendous advantage. All right. Fair enough. I appreciate that. So we look at the drivers, right? I think everybody, even before the season started, right, you you put two names on top, Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. for all the road courses and for very good reason. Just go look at the records. Uh, they are the favorites. I would expect them to still be the favorites. So let's go one tier below, David. I was asking you, who, who might be number three? If we, if we just crown them, you know, want to crown them, we'll crown them. They are who we thought they are, Truex and Elliott. But after Truex and Elliott, who should we consider an all-around good road racer? Who may be right up there contending with the 9 and the 19? Well, Dennis Green, I would say Joey Logano emerged at the Daytona Road Course. Uh, talked about this earlier. Podium finishes in both the Clash and the Points race. Uh, we don't really think about the clash as anything meaningful, but perhaps we should. Um, that is a stadium road course, Daytona. Very flat, no elevation. Different beast than what we're going to see this weekend. The same thing can be said for Denny Hamlin, too. Certainly viable on uh, road courses without elevation. But I said it before. I will say it again. William Byron has the road course chops. Uh, ranks third in surplus passing value on road courses dating back to 2019. Uh, he's been doing this. Front row starts for all three of the road course races in 2019. Uh, this year, unlike those other years, he has the fastest car in the series, that foundational speed on which to build. So he's right there. Uh, I would make him my contrarian pick, but you would probably poo-poo that. <laughs> but I think if, if we were, if we were making a, a ranking or a tier system, he, for me, is either in that second tier or he's a tweener and will not break into uh, the Elliott Truex tier until he wins, which I, I still, uh, still feel a, a win is a coming, uh, this year on a road course for William Byron. All right, we'll see who you pick. I, I think that's fair. I'm only setting myself up because uh, I don't know if I picked a contrarian either, but we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so, all right, so uh, second tier or close to first tier, Willie B. I like that. Um, let, let's look at the other end, right? I mean, we we spent much of the episode talking about championship contenders or most likely to uh, win the championship. Any of those star drivers out there who, who just, whether on paper catch the eye test, just lacking road course ability, or uh, who may find themselves uh, working a little harder this weekend? Who do you look at uh, in terms of if you're describing someone like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Kyle Larson. I'm, I'm thinking really? Kyle Larson is going to have a really bizarre summer because it, the, the schedule, if you look at it, it's all these big 550 tracks where we know – Kyle Larson can show up, but also, um, but there, there's, there's these road courses left on the schedule this year where Larson might have a serious problem. I mean, it's, it's not that he's, 
uh, outright bad. He's made some inroads, but even this year, his worst outing in terms of surplus passing value was the Daytona Road Course race. And it's actually one of the uh, two races this season that saw a negative pass differential from him. And it's sort of interesting. I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know why he hasn't caught on, but there is a line of open wheel dirt guys who became good road course racers. And it dates all the way back to Tim Richmond. Uh, five of his 13 career cup series wins came on road courses. Um, you know, a couple decades or a decade later, it was Jeff Gordon and then Tony Stewart. Both of them considered some of NASCAR's best ever on road courses. Those are USAC dirt guys. What, what business do they have being good on, <laughs> on road courses? So for whatever reason, that hasn't resonated with Larson in the same way, but I would submit that with the, uh, the heightened number of road course events on the schedule, and it sounds as if there's going to be street courses and this is kind of the way forward, that that's kind of the next thing for him to figure out to truly unlock what he is as an overall race car driver. Interesting. That's uh, that's a big name. I didn't know you were going to go that way. What about uh, you know Kevin Harvick? We, we, we going into the season, right? We talked a lot about SHR and worries about their struggles at the road courses. So I thought you were going to go there, not Kyle Larson. So that's interesting. That one too. I mean, when we talk about Kevin Harvick's passing, his results. I mean, the Bush Clash earlier this year was not uh, very pretty. Uh, neither was uh, last summer's Daytona race. But that's a stadium road course. I mean, he's won at road courses before. He is not hapless. He is uh, one of the drivers running a BJ McLeod car uh, in the Xfinity yeah. series, yep. just trying to get some exposure. And I think that can certainly help. I've been hearing a lot of uh, different drivers discuss the challenges that Coda is providing them. Uh, for one, Christopher Bell said that he is having a tough time memorizing the turns and the corners and understanding where he wants to break. That's an issue. I'm sure that he'll figure it out, but it sounds as if the, even with all of the sim racing and everything that we have now in terms of data, drivers actually being on the racetrack physically and figuring it out until they do that, they're uncomfortable. So Harvick actually just for this weekend, I feel like he has a leg up getting some familiarity that he otherwise wouldn't have. Um, but certainly you're right is that is, that is an element of his driving repertoire that he needs to figure out too. Yeah. And that, that's a great idea for them to be in that Xfinity series race. Cause there are 20 turns. It's a hell of a track. I can't wait to learn more about it. Uh, it's going to be cool. David, let's pick our, make our win picks. I'll just go first. Cause I'm taking an obvious uncontested layup and going with Martin Truex Jr. I mean, look, he's got the speed. We know he has the ability, the history, uh, what else can I say? Maybe one of the easiest win picks I'll do all season. So yeah, I- I'm taking the layup, taking the points and going with Martin Truex Jr. How about you? Okay. I'm taking Chase Elliott. Boom. Easy, right? I mean, we'll move on. Those are our win picks. As always, we also do contrarian performers, maybe someone that will surprise. And David, I was going to give you a pass if, if William Byron was going to be your contrarian pick only because I'm picking Joey Logano. And, uh, you know, I, is that too easy? Does that, does he count as a contrarian performer? Uh, look, he's been second. Finished second in the past two road course races. And you even mentioned the class, which I forgot about. So second in points scored over the last four road course races. Yet, with all that said, David, I still don't think a lot of people associate Joey Logano with road course success. 
I certainly didn't. So for that reason, until I went did the deep dive and saw it, for that reason, you know, not associating him with the road course success, I think that does make him a contrarian contender. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm going with Joey Logano. He has a win at Watkins Glen. Uh, so I mean, he. It, I, I understand what you're saying, and I'll I'll allow it to be a contrarian. Uh, <laughs> he. I think Penske as a whole is kind of interesting when it comes to road course racing. I'd love to know how much uh, of R&D is allocated and, and, and what the difference was between the previous years and this year when they're heavily populating the schedule. So what we see, I think, from Penske as a whole, I, I'm, I'm interested in learning because, man, I, I don't know. They, there was maybe a year stretch where they were just kind of – Absent, mediocre, uh, if you will, um, which all of them have, like Ryan Blaney won a Roval race. Like all of them can do this. So seemingly should be good, but you're right. It's not an on the nose pick. All right. How about your contrarian contender? I'm going to go truly contrarian and say Chris Busher. Uh, wow. The Texas for, boy. Yeah. For, he is for, <laughs> I don't know that, that does that matter? I, he considers the no, Vegas, <laughs> Vegas bullring his home track. I think that was where he, Spent most of his time developing, but he's a sneaky good road course racer. Uh, between 2019 and 2020, he netted a surplus five positions across all road course races. And at Daytona earlier this year, he netted out six. Uh, and in regards to points, the 17 team is going for it. Uh, crew chief Luke Lambert has ensured Stage point positioning in each of the last two races. That's pretty big. Uh, so the strategy has been fair. Six positions gained through green flag pit strategy on normal tracks. They lost two in the Daytona road course race. So we'll see. I guess that's my only hesitation. But Busher and collectively as a team, I think that they'll need this race to balance in their favor. Uh, because it is, for all intents and purposes, a toss-up race. And a race where some deliberate focus could, uh, could grant you a big day. And right now, I think this is a team capable of, of, uh, of making the playoffs. I don't think they can win a race straight up, but it's possible to pad enough points to get into the playoffs. And if they ignore road courses, then that's, that's just not going to happen. Forget that. They're not going to 550 their way into the playoffs. They need something else. And that something else starts this weekend at Coda. Yeah, one of those bubble line teams, if you will. I mean, they're going to hit it, right? Someone will take advantage of the five road courses you have left in the next 13 races, and that will propel them into a playoff spot. So perhaps it starts this weekend with Chris Busher. All right, good stuff, David. Uh, good, good episode. We don't forget we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We are available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, Please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff helps spread the word about this podcast, spread the gospel. We notice, and it is, of course, appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to answer them. We did a whole two episodes about it. Go back and listen. Reach out on Twitter at PosRegPod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you are always working hard. What do you got this week? Ah, writing for NBC Sports, as always, uh, this week, Thursdays and race days. And if you want those articles emailed directly to you, then please send me your email address to motorsportsanalytics at gmail.com. I know there are other NASCAR newsletters that you can subscribe to, and why not? But 
uh, I promise mine will make you smarter. At least that's the goal. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff there. David, after you listen and all our listeners, after you listen to this podcast, go check out my Twitter feed at Alan Kavana and check out my latest video for Speed Sport. It helps get you ready for the weekend in the racing world beyond NASCAR. We'll go all over the world, preview what's going on this weekend. So I'd appreciate if you watch that. Let me know if you like those because I'm trying to refine that, all that stuff for Speed Sport and it comes out. Hopefully it's really good. And David, I'm happy to say um, that I will be at Circuit of the Americas. I will be in pit road for the Performance Racing Network on your radio, in your uh, headsets uh, for the broadcast, uh, making my debut on radio. And it is such an honor. It is such a cool opportunity. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm so excited to get back at the track and work with some really awesome people. So yeah, I will be doing the Xfinity and Cup races at Circuit of the Americas. And it just sounds so cool to say. So I hope you tune in and listen. Such a relief. I hope you're bringing your skinny jeans to fit in with the folks at Austin. But I would recommend if you're, uh, you know, watching at home, tune up uh, NASCAR.com and uh, and click listen to live radio so you can hear Alan Kavana help call the uh, the race. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you as always, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Hope you're getting the most out of it. Hopes it. Oh, and don't forget, uh, yeah, Fantasy Live, your fantasy, uh, your fantasy team on NASCAR.com. I'm, I'm busy week for me, David. I apologize, but yeah, set that lineup. Don't forget. Get, and there's qualifying and practice this week, so make sure you factor all that in to your fantasy lineups. So don't worry, we got you covered. Just follow me on Twitter. But for David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. This has been episode 103 of Positive Regression. We'll see you next week. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.